Welcome to the Leadership Mindset Podcast with me, Tony Brooks, where we look to revolutionize your leadership mindset by changing how you think and see your world, enabling you to do the right things and grow significantly as a leader. Welcome back to the Leadership Mindset Podcast series. And I'm really pleased to say today we've got a, a fascinating uh, person to interview. Uh, we've got Caroline Hobdy with us today. Uh, Caroline has 20 years working in human resources, operating at board level within some of the world's largest employers and biggest household names. Caroline became a specialist in transformational change, lean operations, leadership and followership. And we both find that subject fascinating. Uh, she's now working as a board member to run the day to day operations at 151015 to revolutionize the way recruitment industry provides services to candidates, business leaders and HR professionals. She is the founder of her own business, Redefining Selfish, and also the author of All the Twats I Met Along the Way, which I recently finished, in fact, last night, <laughs> and the book Redefining Selfish, which I think you said is coming out in print. No, it's yeah, not. it's it's kind of starting to, to float out now. Yeah. Brilliant. So welcome, Caroline. Thank you very much for sparing time for me and for everybody else uh, listening to the podcast today. My pleasure. Thank you for having me on. I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah, good. So we're going to talk about bad leadership. And um, you and I have had our experiences with bad leadership <laughs> over the years. And maybe at times, actually, I've, I've indulged in bad leadership myself because none of us are perfect. And I'm sure the leaders listening today um, will have had their own experiences and might have to put their hand up as we go through some, <laughs> some of these areas and actually admit that they've fallen into some bad behaviours and habits as well. But for you, Caroline, what does bad leadership look like then? Well, I, I always think it's fascinating that, you know, 75% of people leave their jobs as a direct result of their line manager. Um, and I think, I don't know, again, about you, when you've been a line manager, you thought, yes, but that I'm in the 25% that where they <laughs> Of course. Um, but, I, you know, I, I'm a bit like you, I'd be honest and say, you know, there are people that I have led who we just haven't been a good match for each other. And, and you know, um, I think there's also people that I've led who, to be really honest, I've now, some of my closest friends are people that I have previously led. So I don't think I'm that bad. But, you know, there is always that mismatch. Um, but there's a number of things for me, I think, in terms of, of bad leadership. And I think a lot of them actually relate and sort of sprout off what I would say is like really poor emotional intelligence. Um, I think a lot of bad leadership traits um, come from that. So I think the the inability to to listen and like really listen um, and then digest and respond to what it is that you hear. Um, I think the the lack of ability to admit to being wrong. Um, I think that a lot often that's what bad leadership looks like because you you feel the pressure as a leader to have all of the answers. And we sort of still have this idea that our leader is that person. Um, but, you know, people that can't admit that they're wrong and therefore go, actually, I was wrong about that. And we're now going to do this. Or similarly, a very sort of associated one as well is to say, I don't know. So they don't have that. They struggle to say that they don't know something. And, um, and I think for me, one of my, I guess one of my favorite ones is that that, difference between confidence that then is as a disguise for competence so um so those that come across really confidently but actually underneath it aren't that good um 
and again, can't admit that they're not that good, can't admit that they're out of their depth, um, you know, and sort of really over time, the people that they're leading realise that actually they don't really know their stuff. And and I think it's that gulf really between somebody who kind of looks and presents themselves as a good leader versus someone who actually is a good leader, because I think that's where there's a massive disconnect. Yeah, and I guess on that, I'll pick up on a couple of those points, but I guess with the last one, there has been sort of researched in, in the past, in, in the book Good to Great, wasn't there, about mm-hmm. introverts and extroverts and, and what makes a good leader. And I guess some of that, when you talk about, I guess, almost overconfidence, masking confidence, mm-hmm. and, and you know, those kind of areas as well, there is a little bit about, um, I guess, how certain people present with extroversion you know, as mm-hmm. part of their character, which I... I was telling you before the podcast, um, you know, I, I tend to come up as an expert on all the psychometric mm. tests, and I know you're an introvert, uh, Carolyn. Mm. Um, verse, yeah, and, and, and there is that thing about introverts are comfortable letting the team take the credit and, you know, uh, being more the, at the back of it and all that kind of thing and yep. the team take the glory. So I guess maybe there's something in that really. Yeah, definitely. And I think that that's the thing. I think this we we have this perception of what a leader should be like. And actually, research shows that those things are actually the complete opposite of what a good leader does. So again, that's what I mean, this gulf between they look, you know, they look sound like everything we say. So if you were to say to somebody, and, I, and I'm sure you've you've done it as well, you've been in these workshops where it's like, you know, you've got a flip chart um, or a whiteboard and we all stand around it and go, let's list the traits of a good leader. <laughs> and like, we all do that stuff, don't we? And then you're there and you're going, well, they're charismatic. Yeah, I knew you were going to go with that one first, yeah. Yeah, and they're confident. And, you know, and it's it's all of this. Stuff. And we we sort of describe these very kind of masculine type traits. I think that's the thing. We sort of have this list of, you know, charisma, confidence. Um, they very much seems like they're in charge. You know, they're very successful. Um, but actually, what makes a good leader is actually quite the opposite to that. Because like you say, somebody who is a facilitator of the team and the team's performance makes a better leader. The team itself prefers to work for that person because they feel like they get the credit for the work that's being done and it being a team effort. The success of the team comes from the team and it isn't just about the success of that person at the top and their agenda to be successful and therefore get promoted. Um, you know, so it's, it's, you know, it's about the teamwork rather than the individual, you know, that, that kind of self-awareness, that, yeah, that quiet confidence, you know, you do want confidence, but not somebody who's there going, yeah, I know everything. I've got every answer. Um, you know, and it's, and it is, it's this real dilemma, you know, it is, it, it's completely, dare I say, ask about face in terms of who we promote and who we recruit is absolutely not what good leadership actually looks like when it really happens. Yeah, I, I like the way you've talked about confidence there in a way, because for me, I think confidence attached with a growth mindset rather than a fixed mindset is OK. So confidence yeah. in yourself as a character and your actually confidence in your ability to grow and mm. your potential to grow yeah. rather than you being overly confident um, from a fixed mindset angle. And, and as you know, uh, Carolyn, where overconfidence can mask a vulnerability uh, that we, you know, we all 
have to a varying degree. Yeah. Um, but rather than being probably a little bit more authentic about it and then trying to front and mask it, and, and that can be where the sort of problems, yeah. I guess. Yeah, absolutely, because we all have stuff to learn. So I don't know why we then think that we have to pretend like we know everything. And like you say, somebody that has confidence in who they are, that has self-belief, that kind of confidence is good. But where that confidence is overconfidence, where it's arrogance and actually yeah. it is just there as a mask for I can't really do this and I'm not prepared to say to anybody I'm a bit out of my depth or in this particular area I've got some stuff to learn, which we all have that, don't we? You know, you get promoted into a leadership role, not because you know everything at that point. You know, that's part of the growth and the development. But somehow we sort of we lead people and we feel that suddenly we have this need to say, yeah, that I, I, I know everything. Um, those those certainly aren't the best leaders for me. Yeah, I love the way you touched on that, actually, because I think there is sometimes that expectation, particularly within the person themselves, that when they're promoted to a particular position, that they should be equipped to do it. I'm not a big fan of the term imposter syndrome, but some of that comes in there because it's, uh, hang on a minute, I don't know if I'm good enough for this. And, you, and actually, in certain respects, you are good enough as a human being, but you, you don't necessarily have the full competence and skills for that role. And you will continue to grow and evolve into that role over time. And that's a more realistic view, I think. Yeah. And so often we recruit and, and we promote people in particular once they're in the business, but we promote people based on they've been really good at the previous job. And we don't really assess whether they're good or ready, particularly for a, for a people leadership role. You know, it's yeah. that classic thing, isn't it, of we've got an engineer. He's a fantastic engineer. Everybody thinks he's great. Let's make him the engineering manager. And then suddenly he's like really rubbish. Everybody hates him. You know, he hides in his office, doesn't speak to anybody, um, isn't able to do any engineering anymore. So he's probably deeply unhappy because actually being an amazing engineer was what he was really good at, what got him out of bed in the morning. And then we fire him. Yeah. Um, and, and I've had that experience, you know, with engineering is an example, but I've had that in other disciplines as well. But particularly those disciplines where people tend to be a little less people oriented, um, and we suddenly promote them because they've either been there a long time or, you know, we want to pay them more money or, you know, whatever. And we think that promoting them to a people leadership role is then the next thing for them. But actually, it turns out to be the worst thing for them. And some of them do. They grow and develop into it. Because, again, I think there's very few organizations who train people to become a leader. They make them a leader or a people manager and then try and train them on the job. Um, and we wonder why they struggle. Yeah, it's a great point, that. Because I think, I guess you particularly get it in technical uh, engineering type roles where people are very gifted at what they do. And then they're put into a situation where they've suddenly got to be more strategic, lead people, be more commercially minded, maybe, and all those kind of things. But they're not, they've not necessarily been given any support or development to, to get yeah. there. And, you know, to get, to become competent at a technical role, yeah, you can have ability, but you often need to have training and develop and coaching on the on the job. But I think sometimes there's an expectation that you'll just, well, pick up a leadership role and people leadership yeah. role, you know. Because like obviously we're all people, aren't we? Yeah. So of course, of course you can lead people because <laughs> you are a you are a person. You know, we as well have this approach that we are a human being, that's fine. But it, it isn't as simple as that. And I think we we massively underestimate 
like the, the the need for those people skills. Like we hugely underestimate yeah. how hard they are when you're dealing with other people um, and how important they are. And like I said, it's like, oh, if you're technically competent over here, then we'll just give you some people to lead. Like that's just a bit of a side thing and a bit of an add-on to being technically competent. But when you start to lead people, inevitably the dial starts to move away from the technical competence and into people leadership and people competence. And, you know, you shift, you have to shift away from that technical side of the role because actually most of what you do will involve interacting with and influencing people, whether that's the people you lead or other departments that you now have to liaise with or external people that you have to liaise with. Most of your job becomes about people. But yeah. we just think that because people themselves are people, they must be able to lead other people and have good people skills. And it's like it just doesn't work like that. Yeah, totally. And I think um, the expression soft skills has probably got a lot <sighs> to answer for, hasn't it? <laughs> oh, it absolutely has. And and you know that, you know, doing what you do. And so therefore, no, you're right. You know, you, well, you can tell, you know, being a being a, a, a reformed HR director, um, as I like to put it. Yeah, you, you say like soft, soft skills to me and it totally presses a button. The same with, um, oh, it's like pink and fluffy. Oh, it's like that people stuff. It's pink and fluffy. It's like, you know, it's tea and toilets. Um, HR is and it's like, no, it's not. It's dealing with people that are dead, dying, you know, illness. Um, miscarriage, redundancy, bereavement, you know, it's it's the real nuts and bolts of the human condition. But we can't talk to anybody about that when we're HR people, because all of that's confidential. So yes, you might see that we're sort of doing a bit of tea and toilets, but actually we're there dealing with the best and the worst of humanity. Yeah. And I remember, I mean, actually, you know, I was, I'm a person who came from a technical background and then got promoted up into team leadership and, and management positions. So I was very look. I was at Experian in Nottingham for 10 years and I was very fortunate in that a, a lot of investment in me um, mm. on leadership programs, succession programs, so, you know, senior level and all those kind of things. And my, actually my experience as well was um, our HR manager there, um, I would often pick his brains about how to resolve people problems and it was about applying a more in a way more systematic process orientated approach to solving problems with people mm. and um, I always used to really and, and getting way away from that sort of pink and fluffy perception it was a depth of intelligence around probably the most complicated uh, thing to do which is manage you know, managing to get the best out of people. And it's John Garside, if he's listening, I'll just give John a, <laughs> a sound check. But yeah, I, I was really impressed with that. I mean, not that I, I, I've ever trained in, in HR, but, um, would you have a, do you have a different term for soft skills than Carolyn? What would you call them? I think they're just skills, aren't they? Um, I think that, I, I think it is about people skills and, yeah, yeah. You know, and that's the thing. And not everybody has them. I think you can you can develop them. Um, but I think I think innately, if you just really struggle to deal with other people, I think it's very hard um, to develop that, you know, to, into being a really good people leader. But they are just people skills. And I say just people skills because they're actually really flipping hard. Yeah. Um, but that's what I would call it. It's not soft at all and I yeah. that's like I said thing something that really presses my button when people sort of talk about HR and they think it's all sort of you know fluffy and lovely and it's actually it's some of the hardest skills ever and and I remember a situation where um we may have talked about this before you know I I 
um, I had a redundancy program to do um, with um, a female leader, actually, in a business I worked with. And I massively admired her. She was very good. She was a commercial director. She was very intelligent, really good at what she did, great vision and whatever. And we were then having to do, we were having to do that awful thing of bringing people in and going like, it's not you Um, and sort of exiting them that day. So it was more of a settlement thing than a redundancy situation. Um, And, you know, she was all over it, you know, prepped, planned, whatever. And we talked about it. And I said, look, you, you need to start the conversation, but at any point I feel like you're faltering or whatever, then I'll step in and support. And we did the first one and, and actually quite quickly she faltered um, in that discussion, but you know she got through it, and I don't think probably the the individual would have noticed because obviously they're sort of concerned about what's happening to them. But that first person left, and this is a person. This was a lady who she negotiated with like some massive organisations, you know, on behalf of our organisation. So she'd really been in some sort of tough negotiations, whatever. And the door shut behind this first person that we'd seen, and she went, "How that." effing hell do you do your job that is the hardest conversation I have ever had to have um she said I now totally get why you're doing your job is really hard and it was like wow because like I said she was a real tough nut she was known in the business as being a tough nut she's very respected but a real tough nut like I said would negotiate with some big well-known external organizations she struggled like mad to have those people conversations in that particular setting. Yeah. And I guess it touches on, uh, there was a couple of areas I wanted to uh, bring back. You spoke about earlier. One is emotional intelligence. Um, Because, you know, the research, uh, Daniel Goleman, a number of years ago now, to be fair, but, you know, researched into the very top outstanding performing leaders had high emotional intelligence. And for anyone, most people will know, but for anyone listening to it, who's not come, come across that term before mm-hmm. in simple terms you're talking about how aware you are of yourself and how well you manage yourself and how well you motivate yourself versus how well you can put yourself in somebody else's shoes empathize with them understand them and manage relationships and again that may sound simple but so as you know Kevin as well so many people are not very self-aware don't manage themselves well can't understand another person's perspective and don't manage relationships very well yeah and, and I guess that's what you were touching on when you talked about AI really yeah yeah absolutely and and I think that the thing with emotion intelligence and, and again it's um, it is one of those things I know I sort of bang on about it. and I think what I want to be really clear about is that when I sort of talk about masculine traits versus feminine traits i don't mean males versus females it's just whether you have more masculine traits as a person or more feminine traits as a person um because certainly and again we'll probably touch on this um um, as well because you know one of the worst things for me is when you when you have a female that sort of behaves like a man um certainly in a corporate setting where they try and behave like a man because they think that's how they need to behave so when I talk about masculine and feminine traits, I'm not talking about males versus females. Um, it's about whether what the traits are like. But, yeah. you know, feminine traits tend to be about high emotional intelligence. So, you know, EI, EQ, whatever you refer to as, but that high emotional intelligence tends to be a feminine trait, which is why people with feminine traits and you you talked about self-awareness massively that um, the ability to empathize definitely that these are much more feminine type traits which like you say have research shows make much better leaders and yet we still 
seen to recruit, promote against masculine traits, which typically masculine traits are that you have a much lower EQ. And the other thing to say as well is that EQ um, or EI, emotional intelligence, and um, like IQ, which is sort of intelligence, um, the, the you know you can have both. It's not necessarily that you have more EQ and therefore your IQ is lower. Um, it, it doesn't work like that. So you you know you you can have both intelligence and emotional intelligence at the same time. Yeah. No. Absolutely. Um, I'm just going to make a quick point that I would then uh, yeah sure another question for you. I wanted to go back to something you said there, mm. but I think that uh, again I liked when you, when you talked earlier about an ability to listen to people and actually listen properly. And I think you diet, you said digest and mm. respond. Um, I read a book called leadership is language uh, last year. I think it was during, I had a lot of time on my hands last year during the pandemic. <laughs> um, so I read more books than all, but what yeah. are you, oh, I was busy writing them. That's the thing. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I didn't have time. No, I, didn't, I didn't do that. But, um, but one of the parts, um, in the book, he was talking about uh, the fact that when we listen to people, often we're applying certain filters. So if somebody's saying something to us, we might be quickly thinking, how do I solve the problem? That's a very masculine thing to do as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, or it might be, are they directing this at me in some way, shape or form? Is this like a per- So we're, the trouble is we're not actually listening to understand. We're listening to things. To respond. What, yeah, to respond. Yeah. And, and also what angle are they coming out from and I, I thought that was really enlightening and yeah. I don't think I think it's the panacea to be able to sit and really really listen properly all the time without having any sort of spin on it so I, I like that but I, do, I wanted to go back to something you said as well earlier <laughs> you said that often and I, I like that differentiation um, between you when you talked about masculine feminine traits not being about male and female mm-hmm. um However, you did talk about the fact that a lot of hiring for, for senior leadership roles is done based on masculine traits. Mm. So why do you think that is then? Um, I think it's we've sort of had this long history, I think, of seeing, you know, that it's kind of that masculine thing of being led. And, and don't get me wrong, people sort of initially like that. You know, it's, it is that charisma. You know, somebody with charisma, we're drawn to them, aren't we? You know, it's like, oh, yeah, I'll follow after you. It's only as we sort of peel back the layers of that charisma. And again, you know, quite often that's that's when you find that they have competent, confidence, sorry, that then is disguising like a lack of competence. So it's only after a period of time that we sort of start to see that unraveling a little bit um, with those leaders. But I think we've we sort of have this you know, masculine warrior mentality of it's the person that's sort of loudest and and leading from the front is the one that we're going to go after. Um, and I think that's that's ingrained, I think, for a really long time. And I think um, I know you've read a book that I, I recommended to yep. you called Selected and Selected very much talks about the fact that, you know, the way in which we have typically survived is to get as close as we can to the source of power. And that source of power tended to be the person that got the most sex, um, got the most food, um, you know, had the most authority, the most belongings. And so we gravitated like towards them. And, and let's be honest, you know, across history, that's been men. I mean, there are examples of female leaders without a doubt. You know, if we look at our own history, for example, of our royal family and our leadership, um, for example, um, in, in the UK, there have been females in there. But actually, if you go 
some way back in history, they didn't tend to last very long um, as female leaders um, (laughs) up until sort of, you know, more more recent times. Um, But I think it's because we do, we have this perception of, you know, it's this strong sort of warrior type that that's who we need to be led by. And I think back in the day when we were sort of probably, you know, hunting woolly mammoths and needing to eat, that was probably fairly kind of true. Um, But yeah, it's now it's, it's not like that, you know, the world has changed and whatever, but that's, I think a bit more why we have a bit of that mentality. Yeah. And and there's a danger of you and I go down a rabbit hole with this one, which we won't go down, but in that book selected, which I really enjoyed actually, um, it is that, um, you know, I guess it's that view that a lot of our thinking can still be almost pre thirty thousand mm. years ago, the agricultural yeah. revolution and all that kind of thing. Yes. And it doesn't yeah. really match up to what we need in a modern, more complex, very technic technology sort of driven um existence in modern times. As, as some of our thinking, like you you're hinting at, is still quite primitive really yeah yeah and that's that's what's brilliant about that book because it really demonstrates that and and when you think of other books as well if you think of things like um uh, steve pieces and and the chimp paradox you know again he talks about that very primeval part of our brain that is still that chimp that is just working on very basic um kind of emotions and data and reactions to stuff um as opposed to responses so so it's not just sort of selected there are other you know, there are other books and other research that really show that. But that's the great thing is, like you say, as much as man has evolved and the world has evolved, there are still parts of our brain which it's going to take, you know, hundreds of thousands of more years to evolve away from that. But that said, that need to belong um, is really strong. And that comes in a primeval brain, without a doubt. You know, that sense of protection comes from the group and I need to belong to that group in order to get fed and just basically survive so that's what drives our needs so this idea of this kind of strong warrior character that's then you know the heart of that that's still kind of in our primeval brain as a as a way for us to survive yeah yeah and it's um I'm going to blame you for this if it happens but six years ago I wrote my book and I said I'd never write another one um but (laughs) uh I said to my wife last night that um I said I may write a book on survival psychology because I'm becoming so fascinated with the whole, whole area. So yeah. if, if I do, you're partly to blame for that, Carolyn. But, I, I'll, uh, I'm happy to collaborate on it. <laughs> yeah, let's do it together. I'm glad you've offered. Okay, <laughs> then. so um, let's let's just look at some examples. What do you think are three of the worst habits or biggest mistakes that you've seen leaders make over time then? Um. I have to say, and I know it's kind of like almost like bringing out the cliche and that's really difficult, but communication. Yeah. Um, I think the inability to communicate, whether that's on a, you know, one-to-one level, whether it's, you know, one-to-many, um, but the inability to effectively communicate, I think is one of the worst um, things that, that I see on mistakes, you know, and actually what I've seen quite a lot of is leaders actively avoiding it. It's this idea that if I stand in front of the masses, I'm going to be heckled and it's going to be uncomfortable and it's going to be, you know, da da da. And therefore, they just don't do it at all. And so, therefore, we leave the workforce to just fill in the gap themselves between what they know and what they have been told. And there's usually a gulf in the middle and they make up all the stories in between. And inevitably, those stories are always going to be negative. Um, So I I think that's that's sort of one of them for me. Um, The thinking that they know best. 
Um, It's like I've got it. Like I said earlier, I've got all the answers. um, And there are those that actually really do believe they know best. So that command and control, I'm not going to ask anybody else because that's why I'm leading you. Shut up. And I'm like, let's get on with it. Um, And again, going back to that, like just not asking, you know, not listening effectively, but not asking you know, the people that are doing the job, ask them about the worst things about it or the things that frustrate them or the things that they think could solve it. Um, you know, just not actually asking the questions. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, funny enough, I, I sort of sat independently for me and thought about what I'd say to that question as well. And and my number one was communication straight away. So we're on the same page there. Uh, um, for me, the other two I put down were um, the way that, I mean, a, a bit of a spin-off from the communication one, but the way that leaders handle people. I don't think they, they spend enough quality time with them. I don't think they praise them enough. And actually, if I'm really honest as well, I don't think they deal with underperformance um, oh, speedily God. enough and effectively. Yeah. Oh, you know, and, and I think, you know, again, as an HR person, I've spent my career dealing with the underperformers that the manager hasn't dealt with. Yeah. So yeah. I've ended up, you know, making them redundant or, you know, managing like doing the brutal kind of like, you know, pick your stuff up and go. Here's a settlement agreement. I've done a load of that because line managers just haven't dealt with those people. Yeah. Um, and then when they come and go, I've got this person and like they're not performing and you're like, oh, right. OK, so like, you know, give me a bit of a potted history. How long has this gone on for? And it's months and years. And I'm like, if you'd started dealing with this three months ago, six months ago, um, it, it, they could have been gone by now. And it would it's going to cost us, you know, nothing um, or virtually nothing to have done that. But now you're coming to me and going, I need them gone next week. Yeah, I can't yeah. do it anymore. They're upsetting the rest of the team. You know, da, 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 da. they're not delivering on this project. I'm looking bad. You know, it has this going to have this impact on the organization. And you essentially end up paying an individual a extortionate amount of money versus what they should be paid you're basically like paying them for their incompetence and to go away yeah um, so yeah massive yeah i've yeah, done so much of that yeah yeah and my my third one was um a lack of direction but also um a lack of shared direction as well so that you yeah can get, like you said actually you can get input from people and, and allow them to shape that direction so you don't as you've touched on earlier i think you don't have to have the whole, all of the answers and actually listening to the intelligence of your people and yeah. and having a direction that everybody sort of signs up to and that you can cascade down and all those kind of things so yeah because yeah. we, we just deliver it as a fait accompli don't we yeah, right. yeah. Go. Like all of us who clearly know better um, are all going to sit in a room for several days, usually with a consultant that costs a fortune. We're going to thrash out this thing called a strategy um, and then we're just going to come and tell it to you and expect you to be bought into it. Um, and usually the next time it sees the light of day is 12 months later when we do another state of the nation, <laughs> you know, here you are, here's how it's going. Um, and we sort of don't even talk about it with the people in between. In fact, you know, there's a number of, you know, businesses I've been in where I've been in the senior team where even the senior team don't talk about it um, almost from, from one year to the next. But yeah, that idea that it's like, here we are, you know, here's, here's the brains of the outfit. We're showing up and we're, we're telling you how it's going to be done. Yeah, and I, I, there's one um, MD I'm working with at the minute, and I thought it's great actually. He's he's going to spend time actually having over fifty one to ones with people around the business to engage them a little bit with what's going on. But obviously, I think that's I mean it's a time consuming way of doing it, but you've got more chance of getting input from people as well rather than yeah. putting I don't know fifty sixty people in a room and then saying you know what, what ideas have you got? Cause people 
the confidence thing can can hold back there really a little bit but i love the sound of that md like (laughs) when i meet he or she um and give them a big hug and go thank you on behalf of hr people everywhere uh for doing that (laughs) i'll I'll tell him that when i see him um yeah and the so another question for you i don't know whether you've uh, got any thoughts on this one actually have you got um we could get into dodgy water here but have you got any sort of real life examples and actually don't you don't need to share it from your experience just from observations of celebrities or politicians or whatever of of, uh sort of bad leadership um i've probably got a mixture of both actually um more than happy to talk about some of my um my own examples um of stuff i mean um uh, I, I, well, I mean, one that comes down to the communication thing and I back to what I'm saying about, you know, I want to hug that MD that's saying he's going to spend time with people because I worked in an organisation where the senior leadership just, um, you know, they, they just didn't spend time with the hoi polloi. <laughs> um, that's the only way I can put it. <laughs> and, um, and, and, you know, an absolute classic example was um, it was back in the summer, um, like this is a few years ago, but, you know, it was in the summertime. Um, it was very hot. The offices were boiling. There was air conditioning in the area where the senior people sat, but the air conditioning either was non-existent or didn't work. But for whatever reason, let's just say there was no air conditioning where the rest of the employees were having to work. And it was sweltering. Okay. And and I talked to, I went and talked to, to, to the most senior person. And I said, look, you know, we need to talk about, you know, sending people home, letting them work at home because this environment is just, it's inhumane. It's not really right, right, whatever. Oh, all right. And I actually said, have you walked through there um, to see what's that? Because the moment you walk through the door, the heat, like, you know, no. you know, it's a complete, you know, alien concept that might actually, and it's really interesting and I'll change the person's name. But um, when you came in through our reception, um, you came to the top of the stairs and sort of the offices for everyone else were on the left and the offices of the senior team were on the right. And I got talking to somebody one day and they referred to the senior person. I'm going to change their name as Andy Turnright. Okay. Because they used to say, uh, okay. he came in every day, and just <laughs> turned right to his office and never saw yeah, what it was yeah, like for anybody yeah. else in any other part of the building. So um, that's one of my, where, again, that kind of like, we sit up here and we don't kind of have to deal with you down there. Um, I think if I was to take a sort of celebrity or um, actually I'm going to to take a political example of um, one of the ones that absolutely, you know, was a shouting at the TV moment for me. Um, I'm going to be honest, was when Priti Patel um, got accused of and found guilty of bullying um, in her staff. And is still in her job. Yeah, yeah. That for me, um, I think I, I think it's done women a massive disservice because it's kind of like it's she's there as that example. Like I said, one of the worst leaders I've ever worked for was some uh, was a female that had very masculine traits or was trying to behave like the men in the business, which really was not good behaviour. Um, so I think it does women a bit massive disservice because 
it's very masculine type behavior, which I get, I have a bit of sympathy for because she's clearly in what is still a very male dominated environment. So she probably feels like, you know, and also I do have sympathy because quite often, you know, women get judged way more than men do um, in leadership roles, way, way more than men do. Um, So again, she's probably been judged by a much harsher criteria by the people that work for her anyway. But if they have gone through due process and they have found evidence of this behavior, I'm really sorry, but I cannot at all condone why she is still in that role. And actually for me, it's less about her and dare I say it, you know, it's more about her leader, which, you know, happens to be Boris Johnson. And I'm not unilaterally saying I've got a problem with him. Um, You know, who the hell would want that job? But, you know, I think he's made himself look incredibly weak because in a very public way, the people that work for her, the members of the general public now all know what she's like and how she behaves. And he's basically kind of gone. Yeah, but we'll just let her carry on doing what she's doing. Yeah. And it's um, yeah, I, I, I relate to to the very much to what you're saying there. It leads on to another question I was going to ask you, though, I mm. guess, in terms of. Are bad for people listening here and some of the leaders, maybe if they're, you know, they're listening from a place of self-awareness might be thinking, I, I'm, I may well be guilty of some of this <laughs> to a degree, you know, and I think it's fair, you know, I, I was, ne- I was definitely not perfect as a leader. I strove to get, become a better leader, but I wasn't, I wasn't perfect. Yeah. But, um, do you think bad behaviors, we're talking about bad leadership. Do you think mm-hmm. they are reversible? Uh, do you think that people can, you know, make, good inroads into certain bad behaviors. I mean, I guess even someone like Pretty Patel you were talking about there, could somebody who's been a bully realize that isn't the way to, you know, to, to lead people and relate to people and shift that behavior? What are your thoughts on that then, Carolyn? So I'm going to answer it in two halves. Okay. Can, can people change? Yes, I absolutely believe that they can. I have changed during my life, not from, I like to say, being a bully or a bad leader, but, you know, I've gone through some massive transformation in my life. So can people change their mindset? Can they change their behaviours? Definitely, they, they can. To then answer your question specifically, though, is that if how they behave has got them to where they are, and if there is no incentive for them to need to change. So we go back to Pretty Patel, completely being endorsed now that she can behave like that and there will be no consequences or certainly no consequences that publicly we've seen. So if it is perceived that there are no consequences for that bad behaviour, I actually don't think that somebody will be motivated to do it. There has to be some big motivation for them to then see that I need to change. So I think people can change, but I, my, in my own experience, most leaders don't. Because if the culture of either the business they're in or the industry that they're in, if that has allowed them to get to that position, it's it's what's made them successful. Why the hell would they be motivated to make any change? Yeah, no, I get that. And I think that, um, again, there's some of the companies I work with. And I think uh, where this works well is, let's say, for example, you've got a senior team who can have more honest, open conversations with each other about behavior they see in each other. Um, from a place where egos are left to one side and it's all about being helpful. Yeah. And I know this sounds quite idealistic, but I see this happening. And I think then 
if you can get a senior t- senior team that can work like that and identify, you know, the FD, where you've got certain behaviours I've seen with your people and seen mm. that in the business that are really in line with that because I'm, I'm a great, a passionate believer in culture and values done properly yeah. that are yeah. in line with that. And there's a collective sort of view of that maybe that needs to change. Um, yeah. And then I think it's, it's going into that territory you were talking about, Carolyn, where there are to a degree consequences um, or potential consequences and an element of accountability. Yeah, um, I, I totally agree because you're right. You know, where you've got that ability to have an open dialogue, where you're able to give that feedback. But I would argue that they are already on that, you know, in that more enlightened place of let's improve and whatever, because it's a supportive environment. But if it is an environment where it's like we scream and shout at our people and there's no consequences for behaving like that and we sort of brush it under the carpet because basically, let's face it, the business results are good. Um, you know, if the numbers stack up, then all of that people stuff just, um, you know, we sort of say that we should and we know that we should, but actually, yeah, let's just put it to one side. It's, it's, that's what I mean is if there is, if there is an environment that's conducive to because everybody's trying to learn and develop and improve, then I would argue it's probably a reasonable environment in the first place. It's where you've got a toxic environment and nobody gets held to account to it. Yeah. Why no, would they change? And I've, I've only ever seen, one example of where somebody really has changed interestingly with that individual they were um they were very disruptive and very difficult so i was trying to find a word that didn't involve me swearing um (laughs) they were very disruptive and very difficult when they were sort of an employee you know a member of the workforce and actually what instigated them to change what the what their their line manager did which was very enlightened was to go actually i'm going to give you some responsibility because you need to see what it's like on this side of the fence and actually okay. made them a, a leader a team leader albeit so it wasn't you know it's sort of very sort of first step up and you really saw a change in that person because suddenly they realized i'm going to influence these people i'm now going to be more part of the team that i've done nothing but be difficult for and moan about and that's the only time I've seen somebody change when they were given then some leadership responsibility. Yeah. No, okay. Now I get that. So what do you think? Uh, and, and you've been touching on this, this a little bit anyway, but what, what do you think leaders should do if they recognize they fall into certain bad behaviors and habits? And let's say they're a more enlightened leader that actually wants to change rather than thinking, well, this is getting me where I am and I don't need to change it. Um, but what do, yeah. you, what do you think leaders can do if they just, think I've got, I've, I've, you know, I've developed some bad habits and behaviours or dropped into them. What should they do? I think first and foremost, you've already sort of touched on it. I think they have to have a really serious conversation with themselves about whether they really do want to change. Do okay. they mean it? Do they really, is not changing worse um, than changing? And I think if you get the, the, the you know, the, the scales to, to tip the other way and go, actually, if I stay as I am, this is going to be worse than going through a bit of pain of the change. So I think that first and foremost, they need to be really honest with themselves and go, do I really, really, really want to do this? Um, because if the answer is like, yeah, not really, then don't, don't put yourself through it. Don't, don't put the people that, you, that work for you through it either. And then think, oh, here's a, you know, a chink of light and then discover that it's gone dark again. Um, I would actually say, and I, and I do, I understand as well, the reason there's a caveat on this, I would say choose a good coach and I say a good one because there's a lot of coaches out there and there are some fantastic ones um you know and then there are some that really aren't as good so I think you need a really good coach and to be honest you need somebody that you really respect 
and that who is going to challenge your behavior and really hold you to account to make that change. Um, and also is who's then going to talk to the people around you um, and find out what it is that you need to work on and then go back and do that work again in terms of are you seeing a difference and see that difference over a period of time? So you need a coach you respect. You need somebody that's going to hold you to account and somebody that really is, as I would put it, hold your feet to the flames in terms of you making that change. That would be a piece of advice. And I think the other thing, and again, it goes back to stuff we said before, you've got to be prepared to admit that you've been wrong about some stuff and do that openly and ask for help. Yeah, yeah. Because for me, I think that's the first stage. If you're, if you're lead, I mean, you know, one of the great, great opportunities you have is that if you're, if you're leading some, you know, people and you know you've not done it great and actually you get a promotion, ideally sort of into a new organization, you can kind of reinvent yourself at that point, can't you? And go, actually, I'm going to start here because I don't have any history. So I'm going to start here as a better version of myself. But if you're staying within the same organization, staying within the role that you're doing, You've got to be honest with the people that you lead and go, I'm just going to put my cards on the table, guy. I'm going to be really vulnerable here. And I'm going to say to you, I know that some of my behaviors have not been ideal. I'm now going to work on those and go through a transformation. I am going to fall off the wagon sometimes. Um, but and, and I want to try and create an environment where you feel like you're able to tell me when I do that. But I understand that some of my past behaviors have maybe not been conducive to that honesty. But this is what I'm going to work on. I'd really like you to support me. I'd like you to give feedback to my coach or to me or however, to the HR department, however it is that you're getting some support about that change and just front into it and tell them that you're going to make that change and share that vulnerability. I think that for me would be my first bit of advice. Yeah, no, it's great. I mean, naturally, I would say get, get a, a good coach myself as well. But actually, you know, interestingly, if you brought back a memory, when I was at Experian, I we didn't have 360 degree feedback, um, but I had a team of 10 techs at a time and I decided I'd get, I said, I want some honest feedback from you guys, how I'm leading you and what have you. And I always, <laughs> I always remember the one guy who was a DBA came up to me with his feedback sheet, whatever, I'd asked him some questions. And he said, just remember, he said, more critical feedback is way better than positive feedback. I said, okay, I'll brace myself. <laughs> <laughs> and it is that thing because it can be hugely insightful, like you say. And I know yeah. that, when we when we do that stuff, when we get feedback, when we do three sixty stuff, you know, we we panic, don't we? Like we, it's it's difficult. It is difficult to hear. It's scary, um, but you're right. Some of it can be so useful because I remember I got some many years ago, uh, many many years ago in my career, and one of my team members. It was anonymous feedback. One of my team members said, "Sometimes working for Superwoman can be really quite hard." Okay. And it was the most insightful piece of feedback and the one that has stuck with me for decades um, because I knew exactly what they were getting at is that, you know, they respected me. They knew I was really competent. I was getting stuff done. But the fact that I was being like superwoman was actually making it them feel quite inadequate. You know, I was driving them quite, you know, all of it, all of that stuff. So and it really stuck with me. And I thought, yeah, I get it. It was it was. And it's. Yeah, and I, I've been mindful of that feedback. I'm not always uh, um, solved it, but I've you know been mindful of that feedback ever since. So, yeah, criticism is you know needs to be welcomed, really. Yeah, no, so that's great, really. I think you know getting some feedback, having some accountability, getting a good coach, mm-hmm. actually getting some skills development, some training in certain areas. Mm-hmm. I think having open conversations with your team, but also if you're at a you know your peers as well um get them to feedback to you about what they're seeing because they may be more likely to give you feedback than your team your team might yeah 
it's, yeah, exactly. And like, like I said, you know, it, when you say, when I said, you know, sort of go out and tell people whatever, yeah, exactly. Tell your peer group um, as yeah, well yeah. as that, that work for you um, without a shadow of a doubt, I think, because it's that, that honesty that is absolutely key. Okay. There's one final question for you, Karen, mm. before we, we finish today. Um, quite a simple question. And I think you, you've touched on some of these anyway, but if you were to say the three most important areas for a leader to work on to become a better leader, what would you pick if you were to pick three then? Um, yeah, again, it's going to go back to some of the things we've talked about. I think listening, yeah. um, you know, asking and listening, that would be the, the, the first thing for me. You know, asking the questions and then really listening to the answers without a doubt. Um, communicating, stop running away from communicating, stop hiding from the difficult conversation um, and just tell your team stuff, you know, tell them, tell them when there's stuff that you can't tell them. Um, and then tell them as much as you can of, of the rest of it and just keep telling them. Because as we know, people have to hear things seven times before they'll digest it and believe it. So communicate as much as that. Yeah. Um, and being vulnerable, saying, I don't know the answer to this, or I need the team to work together here, or this part of it is outside my experience, or you people within my team are more experts in this than me. It's my job to facilitate it, but you're the experts here because we don't, you know, I've, I, for example, have managed in several roles I've had, you know, payroll and things like that before now i'm not a payroll expert i know enough to manage it but i'm not an expert so i think it's fine to go i'm not the expert in that so i think saying that you don't know and asking for help then i think is the other thing yeah no brilliant and i think you know those all three of those you know come into the sort of emotional intelligence piece we've been talking about and um you know when i was asking you the question about um i guess can can bad behaviors be reversible and all those kind of things um i've got a, like an, emo- an emotional intelligence test i do with leaders when i start working with them and look at yeah. the five areas and then i give them a, a list of things they can do in the five areas to improve and what i typically say is let's just pick one um in each of the areas where you're probably most challenged and mm. focus on them and i think from a place of awareness and focus then, and you know, I've seen leaders get better at maybe it's their awareness and we pick one particular aspect of, um, uh, you know, awareness in emotional intelligence. So, yeah, I think um, it's it's such an important area, isn't it, uh, Carolyn? And I think all your pieces there, you know, asking and listening, communicating, being vulnerable, all really come across uh, that sort of emotional intelligence thing that you spoke about right yeah. at the beginning so no so brilliant it's we could go on for ages <laughs> i know i know we know that's the risk don't we between the two of us is that yeah we, yeah but no it's such a massive topic and we both love it yeah but thank you hugely for sparing your time before we finish i just wanted to signpost for people where they can find out more about you because i mean you there's a there's books out there there's different business ventures so what's the the best way of people connecting and finding out more about you carolyn and what you do so I have a website, which is um, carolynhopday.com. So you can find me through that. You can contact me through that. Um, that talks very much about my book. So it talks about um, my Twats trilogy, um, Redefining Selfish, um, and a lot of what I do with uh, both individuals and organizations. So I, I have a particular specialism in talking about the menopause at work um, and you know talking about, about leadership and particularly confidence um, and identity. So you can find out that, about that there. 
Um, I am on social media, so you can find me on Facebook. So I'm on Facebook as um, as Carolyn Hobday, but also as Redefining Selfish. Um, on Instagram as the same, so Redefining Selfish and Carolyn Hobday. And then you can find me as Carolyn Hobday on LinkedIn. So for any business people, I'm on there, and particularly if you want to talk to me about 151015 as an organization and what we're doing with that. Uh, and you know, also my own work as well. So you can find me there. So the great thing about having a name that, um, as I understand it, um, is unique means that it's really easy to find me yeah there's more than one tony brooks around but i think you're probably right there's only one carolyn hobdy so yeah uh, yeah there is and so um yeah for the, for the one and only carolyn hobdy um <laughs> a, a big a big thank you for uh, for sparing time i think this this area of bad leadership uh i think that um if people are honest and and prepared to accept you know some of their own failings i think it's a fa- fascinating area to explore and that we've explored today because um you know it's, it's recognizing that and being prepared to make some changes so um thank you hugely carolyn thank you for having me on it's been my absolute pleasure yeah thanks a lot if you want to explore your leadership mindset in more detail why not complete our free leadership diagnostic at thetonybrooks.com and subscribe to this podcast to join us for future podcasts.